Hello and welcome to Affable Chat. My name is Benjamin and this is my co-host Joey. Hello, how's it going? And today we're continuing our series on Florence Pugh uh, with our second movie in our four-part series. Today we're talking about Midsummer. Welcome to Horga and happy Midsummer. It has been 90 years since our last great feast, and it will be 90 years before our next. And what poetry that it's now the hottest and brightest summer on record. We already have so much to give back. And so, without any further blathering, let's raise our glasses and let our nine-day feast commence. Skål! Skål! This is an American-Swedish cult folk horror breakup film. Directed by Ari Aster. Well, I, okay, so before we move on too far, but there's only one American actor in this movie. Wow. Uh, it is, of course, uh, William Jackson... Uh, what's his last name? Um, William Jackson Harper, uh, who plays Josh, is the only American actor in this film all the other ones are you know vaguely swedish european and uh <laughs> first florence Pugh is english um yep, yep. and uh the other lead um jack uh Rainer, i think his name is he um he's uh irish okay so there you go but still american you know so yeah, give the americans american. credit <laughs> that's right <laughs> uh the cast includes soraya knight pills and coke wilhelm blorngen Chidi Anagagne, real-life Sid from Toy Story, and a bunch of European actors. I watched this movie on Amazon. Joey, how did you watch it? I also watched it on Amazon Prime. Thank you, Jeff Bezos. Yes, yes. Mwah, Jeff Bezos, because it's if you have Amazon Prime, then it's free. Or yeah. It comes with Amazon Prime, not necessarily free. Uh, so if you want to watch it, that is a great place to do it. And we'll begin our analysis of this movie by recapping the events with our synopsis that Joey wrote. Go ahead, Joey. After a tragedy claims the lives of her sister and both parents, college student Danny is completely distraught. On top of that, she and her boyfriend of four years, Christian, are having issues. Christian is lying and being standoffish, and Danny is desperate for someone to lean on. Christian and his toxic friends are planning to go to Sweden for several weeks to visit the hometown of their friend and exchange student, Pele. However, Christian has neglected to tell Danny, and when she finds out, she is confused and concerned. To put her at ease, Christian invites her too. Once in Sweden, the five friends drive to the middle of the countryside, far away from any civilization. There they meet two other visitors and some of Pele's friends who insist everyone take mushrooms and trip in the meadow together. Time passes, but because they are so close to the Arctic Circle, the sun is still high in the air at 9 p.m. In fact, at this time of year, there are only a few hours that are not bright daylight. Danny wakes up and the group moves into the commune. Inside, they meet some of the other members and marvel at the beauty of the little community. The houses are simple wooden structures spaced out across a large meadow surrounded by mountains and trees. The friends all engage in the festivities, eating and talking to the locals. Pele gives Danny a birthday present, and Danny reveals that Christian forgot to do the same. 
The next day starts with a very ritualistic meal, and then a long ceremony that ends with two old people throwing themselves off a cliff to their deaths. This shocks some of the visitors, especially the two other guests, who make a scene and declare they are leaving immediately. Christian and his friend Josh, both anthropology students, don't seem that worried about it and dismiss it as weird but not necessarily wrong. A rift begins to form between Danny and Christian, as well as Christian and Josh. One of their other friends, Mark, pees on a special tree, then goes off with a young woman from the village. He is never seen again. Josh, in the middle of the night, sneaks into a sacred house to take pictures of their special text, but is killed by a man who is wearing Mark's face. In the morning, of the outsiders, only Danny and Christian remain. Danny is taken to prepare for the next ceremony with the other young women, and Christian is propositioned by the elders to mate with one of their women. Both are given hallucinogens to make them open to influence. Danny competes in a dance competition and actually wins, making her the May Queen. Christian shifts around uncomfortably. Danny is sent off to bless the crops, while Christian is pulled into a mating ritual featuring a dozen naked women. The person he is supposed to impregnate is laying in a bed of flowers. Danny hears the moaning and singing from Christian's ritual and sees him having sex with someone else. She also begins to wail and is joined by the other women who are escorting her. Finally, Christian is given a paralytic and a final ritual is performed. Nine people must be sacrificed. Six have already died. The two elders that committed suicide, the two outsiders that tried to leave, Josh, and their other friend, Mark. Two more people from the village have volunteered as sacrifices, and the last one must be chosen by Danny because she is the May Queen. Danny is given a choice between the last outsider, Christian, or a randomly chosen villager. She chooses Christian. The nine bodies, three of whom are still alive, are put into a wooden structure and burned. Initially, the villagers and Danny all wail and cry as it burns to ashes, but Danny's cries eventually transform into a smile. The end. Spooky. Yeah, there we have it. It's the perfect time of year to watch a movie that's spooky like this. Uh, let's begin our conversation about Midsummer with our pros and our cons. Joey, what did you like about Midsummer? There, this movie is extremely atmospheric. It's incredibly consistent and powerful tone that's just constant. It's really impressive. Um, even little moments where nothing happens are full of palpable tension. It's truly one of a kind like uh, experience. It's a one of a kind performance as well from Florence Pugh. Um, uh, yeah, I was really impressed with everything she did. The setting was really cool. Um, everything about the props, the costumes, er the whole production design was seamless and did so much to sell the movie for me. What about you? What did you like about it? I agree with all of that, especially that consistent and powerful atmosphere. Bobby Krillick's score was essential for maintaining that constant feeling of anxiety and fear throughout the film. I think this movie has incredible use of foreshadowing. Going back and looking at basically any scene, you're like, oh my gosh, they were, they were telling us it the whole time, like, <laughs> which, is, which is great. I love that. It's scary. And when you're making a horror movie, it should be scary. It was scary. I was scared, okay? Especially that nightmare sequence after she takes the sleeping pill. <laughs> oh, that yeah. was amazing, but also just, oh my gosh, I hated it. But it like, because <laughs> it was so good. <laughs> and then uh, great acting, like you said, Florence Pugh, 
uh, puts on a spectacular performance. And I think this movie is really unique. It stands out among, like, it really sticks out. I know it's recency bias. I literally just watched it, but uh, it really sticks out to me from, like, all the movies we've watched. This one really feels like Midsummer. you know? That's just this movie. Yeah. So those are our pros. Now let's talk about cons. What did you not like about Midsummer? I feel like I was missing something here. I wasn't really clear about what I was supposed to take away from this movie. The more I thought about it and the more I read about it, the more I was like, I think I do understand, but I just don't agree with whatever take they're trying to push. Um, the guy who plays Christian, uh, Jack Rayner, he, he felt kind of off for me. I don't feel like he sold it as well, especially in comparison to Florence. Um, you know, he was just, he was really, I mean, both of them are kind of like, you know, lose a lot of agency in this story and sort of like flow through and you know, he can see kind of the fear and just confusion on his face, but like he doesn't really deviate from that much. Um, but there's, there's a lot of shock value, I think, in this, but I don't feel like there's a lot of reason for it. It doesn't feel like there's a lot that's there to enhance the story. And although like there's a lot about this movie that's very unique, the story itself feels very well tread. It's like, you know, strangers enter into this cult like atmosphere and then the cult kills them. It's like, you know, as soon as you it starts, what's going to happen? As soon as Pele says, oh, I live in a commune. You're like, oh, OK, <laughs> I know this story. I've seen this one before. What about you? What did you what did you not like about this? Well, I, for the most part, I like it a lot. I don't have a lot of problems with this film. I'm glad you said like the shocking Im- like for me, it's specifically like, the shocking imagery. I think maybe cross the line a little bit for me and I'll get into my whole feelings about that a little bit later, but I, I kind of agree with you on that. And then also I wish like a lot of this movie feels so well planned out, but one thing that I couldn't figure out is why we could sometimes understand Swedish, but not all the time. Mm. I liked that we couldn't understand Swedish because it made us feel you know, not in the know, but there were times where he could understand it. And while that, I guess, helped us to understand the rituals, I think it would have been better to not have that because why, or, or maybe explain why we could suddenly understand Swedish. It didn't make sense to me that they would switch back and forth. So did they, was it like a certain point where we could start understanding? I just, I didn't even register that. What? Well, it wasn't much. Uh, uh, the ritual that happens, or it's not even really, I guess it's like a ceremony rather than a ritual, but when we see the torches being like passed to the two elders who are going to suicide the next day, right. they hand them a torch. It's like, this torch, like, never hotter, never higher, like, hold it some oh, okay. special way. And I was like, why can I understand this now? And then they stopped, and it wasn't really explained. And again, it's this is such a nitpick, but this movie feels so meticulously planned that that just didn't make sense to me. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, anyways, those are our pros and our cons. Let's get into our the bulk of our conversation here in the overall section. And I'll start by saying, from a visual perspective, this is classic A twenty four. This movie, <laughs> like, it features truly ambitious camera work. It's very dynamic. It's very artsy long takes i love long takes okay Uh, and this movie had plenty of them and that really gives our actors time to act i really appreciate that and also that one camera flip as they enter housing gland 
where they're on the road and the camera does that huge flip and you're like, oh my gosh, everything's turning upside down. I, I do think it's a, a bit on the nose, but at the same time, no, I- it was cool. I was it was like, cool, I was yeah. like, how do they do that? How do they possibly do that? You yes. can't see the crane or anything. Is, is it a drone? It was so steady. It felt like one of those you know, tracking crane things, right? Yes, yes. But yes. like there's only one road. I don't know. It was, that was crazy. I was- uh, uh, you really get a lot from that, um, right? And there's so many like there's not a lot of scenes that are I guess that dynamic with the camera, but everything the camera does in this movie is awesome. But there are a lot. Like remember when <laughs> the women are picking flowers and walking backwards? Like you start with this, the camera's way up in the air and looking yes. at like the whole scenery, and then it drops down so smoothly. It and felt like Wes Anderson movie. Like that yes, piece, didn't it? That was, yes. I was like, okay, I was thinking. it was. I definitely felt the same way. I uh, my mind immediately went to Wes Anderson when Christian's in the house where he talks to Siv about having sex. Yeah. The camera passes through the rooms exactly like it did in. Um, um, the Grand Budapest Hotel. That's the right. same kind of thing where it like passes from room to room. It's, it's symmetrical. The camera's right in the middle of a like rectangular room. Like <laughs> I really enjoyed that. So this movie, I mean, we could we could spend an hour just talking about the individual shots, but throughout this movie had really great uh, camera work. That transition from the bathroom in the oh, yeah, apartment to the airport or the airplane bathroom. I mean, that could have been in Scott Pilgrim. Like that was <laughs> so much fun. Uh, yes. I kind of wish there was more transitions like that, but um, I guess it would distract from the scariness. They're if not you're really always going being anywhere. cool. That's the that's thing, true right? as well. Yeah. But um, but I did really enjoy that one. But really, I could say all this stuff about the camera work, but the score is really what jumped out to me. I mean, most of this movie doesn't even look scary, but yeah. the score keeps you on edge for the entire runtime. You never get to catch your breath. It's horrible the whole time. <laughs> uh, but like, because for the most part, Housingland is not a visually frightening place, but this movie never lets you relax, and I I give the score a lot of credit for that. Oh yeah, I think that's a big part of it. It's it's definitely lifted and upheld 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 by yes. the score. Yes, um, constantly. I mean, yeah, Ari uh, Ari Aster really knows what he's doing with the camera. It's so masterful. Every shot is so beautifully framed, and there's so much that's going on. Just. Uh, with focus, with mirrors, you know, long drawn out conversations that don't feel boring because like you're brought into the story with, with uh, the actors. Um, yeah, all of that stuff is so awesome. I mean, I I really appreciated the mirror work in here. I know you yeah. want to talk about mirrors a little well, bit. Okay, well, right, but what is it? A lot of times when there's intentional use of mirrors, there's something there. They're yeah. saying something about the perspective of the person looking into the mirror. Like maybe they're seeing it from another angle. What do you think that the use of mirrors in this movie means? Was it just a cool way to film scenes or was there something deeper? There was, I mean, it was certainly useful for filming complicated settings, right? I'm thinking of that scene where they're in one of the guys' apartments and Danny comes in. Christian tells them hey, by the way, I'm going to invite her. And by the way, it was your idea. You yeah, know, support yeah. me on this, guys. And um, <laughs> like when she comes, you can see him have that conversation and their reactions across a kind of big room with the mirror that's above them. So that's really helpful. Oh, to so cool. The camera's not in the mirror. Right, right. Like it's, uh, and then Danny comes in and the shot like lingers a long time on them and their reactions and everything. But you can see everybody in the scene, which I think is really cool. I saw, I watched Wisecrack's video about Midsummer, 
Um, and they said that the mirrors represent like someone putting on a face or pretending to be something that they're not. I don't really Ooh. know if I really agree with that necessarily. Okay. But I can see how that's like, how there's something there. Um, especially because you see mirrors a lot used a lot more in the first part of the movie before they get to, um, what's it called? Uh, ha- Hausingland. Hausingland, yes. Before they get there, um, there's mirrors used all the time. When Danny is uh, getting stuff out of her medicine cabinet. She, you know, she's on the phone with people. Uh, that one scene in the, the apartment when they're in the bathroom, um, all of that stuff. And then when she goes into that outhouse as well, she sees that image of her sister um, yes, yes. in the mirror. All of that's like centered in the kind of the beginning of it. Sort of uh, maybe it's like a dark reflection or like this is not um, reality but, maybe. I don't well, know. Well, no, I don't know because they also have, I mean, when Josh gets killed, you see a mirror. The The table that they eat yes. at when Danny is the May Queen is reflective. Uh, you know, I don't know. It's It felt like a consistent thing for me, but I'm not sure if I, I associated any meaning beyond like this is really cool. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be like, open to hear, totally. yeah. I'd be open to hear if people have interpretations on it. But yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't clear to me what exactly that was. There wasn't. Right. It was never. It doesn't necessarily have to be spelled out, but it was never like, you know, made consistent. Like, okay, in this situation, you'll expect to see a mirror because this person is doing this thing or whatever. Yeah. Um. You know, maybe treachery or maybe a turn or something. But even then, it's it's. I don't know. You're kind of stretching there a little. Right. bit. Right. Well, and it feels like it shouldn't need to be a stretch this movie is fraught with intentional uh you know foreshadowing and detail literal symbols <laughs> yes literal <laughs> so i i feel like if i have to reach for it it's it might not even be there but the other thing i wanted to ask you about was did you notice characters staring directly into the camera and i've got two examples for you one of them was at the cliff scene when we first get to the cliff scene one of the uh the cult members yeah. Looks over his shoulder directly at the camera. Uh. Looks right at you. And I thought that was weird. It was almost like we just got there last. And he's like, oh, there you are. And then later, when Christian sits down after his conversation with Siv to watch the dance at the, the May pole dance, he looks over his shoulder directly at the camera, right at us, the audience. I don't know oh, what it means. Wasn't there a couple of scenes where Danny's looking right into camera? You can see her eyes. Yes. Like really clearly. Um, I don't know. I'm not sure what that, I didn't really pick up on anything specific. Only that like, you know, they were kind of looking around, I guess. Sure. Um, and again, it's like. Not necessarily at, at me. Right. But that's the thing. I, again, maybe I'm just like, both of those shots kind of took me out of the movie because I felt like they were looking directly at me or, you know, the audience in general. So I don't know. I just thought that was interesting. That is um, interesting. So, but yeah. Um, yeah, I think the, the most interesting thing about this movie and the, my favorite part is that um, like more than 90% of this movie takes place in broad daylight. Daylight is usually so comforting and illuminating. The language of film over the last, you know, 100 years has always told you that nothing bad happens in broad daylight. But this movie turns that on its head and makes the daylight off-putting, almost sinister because it never goes away. The villagers don't have anything to hide from each other, and the sun represents that freedom. You can never tell what time of day it is or how much time has passed. It's always bright and colorful outside. Horror movies, I think, are at their best when they make you afraid of ordinary things. And although the sun isn't really a villain in this story, it reframes this hiding-in-the-dark idea so well that it changes the entire meaning of sunlight 
just for the sake of this story. And right along with that is the use of color. There's so much to look at and it's all so bright. There are lots of flower bouquets, green grass, interesting paintings in the village. The outsiders all wear normal clothes, which makes them super easy to pick out amongst the white clad villagers. I hate it when a movie is drab. It's all blacks, grays, and browns. I just watched Dune and that movie is just all desert. You know, it's like <laughs> blacks and grays and like whites and browns and stuff like that. And like the movie has other redeeming qualities, but it's certainly not the most like, like from a color perspective, it's not the most interesting movie. This movie sure. is like a stark contrast to it where everything's so vibrant. Um, so even scary, intense movies like this one can have bright, vibrant colors within them. And um, I think that like this is also a direct contrast to the beginning of the movie, which takes place almost entirely in the dark. Everything's poorly lit. Um, you know, you can barely kind of some, that one scene where their firefighters are walking through the house. You can barely even see what's happening. Um, so yeah, it's, that's obviously a, a shows a transition that you're in a new place, and this place is very different from the rest of the world. Oh yeah, it's very unsettling because. It, it looks like a place I'd want to visit. Like everything yes. they do in this movie, I'm like, I would want to do this. Like the, <laughs> I would want to go on this trip. I would want to like see yeah. these people who live out in like nature, but it also makes me not want to do any of that as well. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind. But, yeah. <laughs> well, let me, um, one of the things you mentioned in your cons is that this story feels well tread. And um, I think you're right. Sitting down to watch this movie you're like, yeah, obviously the cultists are going to kill them. And really, yes. it's just how is that going to happen? But let me push back a little bit on that, because I think this movie has something that is different, that isn't well-tread, that I really appreciate. So apparently this movie was originally pitched as a slasher film where some Americans get murdered by cultists. Like you said, we've been there, done mm -hmm. that. But after a tough breakup in his own life, apparently um, Ari Aster changed the idea to focus centrally on a deteriorating relationship. I think this is what makes this film truly interesting. Instead of letting us watch a bunch of people die at the hands of a cult, we also get to watch a vulnerable, a vulnerable person be manipulated into joining the same cult that is murdering her friends. I think <laughs> cult recruitment is an important part of showing cults for what they are. Mm. Cults are notorious for finding people when they are at their most vulnerable and taking them in under the guise of giving them a better life. And that's exactly what happens to Danny. It's so clear that's why she's here. When the group arrives and they're all greeted by Odd, and this is his name, which is an odd name, they, he says hello and welcome to everybody else, but to Danny, directly to Danny, and only Danny, he says, welcome home. We are so very happy to have you specifically her yes and it's clear this is the plan from the beginning that they wanted danny to join them and the story is littered with clues that danny is on a path to be part to become part of the cult after danny's family dies she cries like a baby like distinctly like a baby it's really different from most crying you see from adult women in movies like just complete wailing yeah. later we hear a baby crying in that building that has all the beds that the younger people sleep in at the commune. And I believe we're supposed to draw a connection here and see this as Danny's birth into the cult. Like she's a baby again in the life cycle that they believe in. 
at the also at the beginning of the story, Danny feels anxious about leaning hard on Christian, like leaning too hard on Christian, maybe scaring him off. And then like when she's going through rough times, genuinely rough times, like Christian kind of comes across as cold uh, at the beginning of this movie. Yes. Like their relationship is definitely not great. But then later when she's with the cult, they, they literally moan in agony with her. They feel things on her behalf in order to support her. You know, that's something she's definitely looking for at this point. They give her what her previous relationships couldn't or can no longer. There's also a connection, I think, that can be drawn between having a family that kills itself and then joining a cult that kills itself. Yeah. Like, maybe this can help her accept the previously unimaginable way that Danny's family perished. I mean, that was so awful. I was... (laughs) Oh, my gosh. It was horrifying. It was horrifying. I couldn't believe it. I mean, I was like, okay, well, what's going to happen here? Like, are they, you know, are they going to be, are they somehow going to be back? Is this like a, is this the end of the movie showing at the, you know. Right. Yeah. At the, uh. Because like, how do you go beyond this? Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. I know. So so shocking. And, and, um, which again, sets you up to be joining a cult because it's like, what, (laughs) where do you go from here? But I think like also like going more towards other things that Danny does that reveal she's going towards joining the cult. Like it might seem obvious that she's going to join the cult when she literally participates in like the normal cult activities. Uh, like she literally wears their clothing too, but it's the otherworldly unexplainable experiences that really make us believe in her transition to cult member status. She can briefly understand Swedish or like just some <laughs> gibberish at the end of the May queen dance contest. And then right after that, when she wins, everybody's congratulating her. She sees her mother in the crowd dressed as one of the cult members. Like she is like these trippy otherworldly experiences help us understand how Danny could convincingly become seduced by the cult. And it's completely believable at the end when she willingly joins the cult. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's the thing. I think that kind of like gnaws at me i guess is it's like of course obviously like she doesn't have anywhere to lean right she has basically just christian um after her and after her um her family's uh, dead that's all she has absolutely you know she has nothing else out there she she has that one friend that she calls right but basically it's the only thing that's keeping her afloat is her relationship with christian which is also falling apart even though she won't admit it you know right so as soon as she gets anything else, as soon as she gets a lifeline in any direction, right? As soon as Pele mentions anything that's like, hey, you know, I'll take care of you or we'll take care of you. She's like, yeah, hold on. And then immediately she's like, she flips on Christian, right? She starts saying kind of coded things to him. Like, I would imagine you would leave me behind and stuff like that. Right. She starts so like, pushing back. Yeah. Right. And it's like, it's only when she gets that support from something else, something which is definitely more toxic than christian christian's not great but he's definitely doesn't deserve <laughs> to be burned alive in my opinion sure, sure you know? yeah definitely um he like as soon as she gets that support from something else she immediately falls on top of it right and it's it's weird watching that happen because the, like the film is sort of trying to paint pele and like the cult almost in like a good light saying like oh you know you know they have some quirks but like 
it's all very, you know, it's all part of the plan. It's all very structured. There's a lot of, like, there's a lot of safety and everything makes sense here, you know? Whereas, like, her weird friends or Christian's weird friends are also awful, you know, and they act awful throughout. You don't really want to root for them either. The only person you have is Danny, and she's, like, being seduced very convincingly by this very attractive cult. So... See, I, I, don't I don't know if I feel the same way about how attractive the cult is because even up until the end, I felt like Danny was pretty horrified by the a lot of stuff that she went through. I mean, even after becoming May Queen, she had to witness Christian cheating on her, which I yeah. it was clearly a cult activity as well. So yes, it's I because honestly, the way I took it was when she smiled, I was like, oh no, <laughs> yeah, I like this. I didn't, I didn't expect her to make that turn like that and um so i think i think they for me i think the movie does a good job of balancing that where it's like yeah we're clearly pushing her towards joining the cult the cult wants her to join of course but she's not gonna do it look at all the stuff Mm -hmm. that they're doing there's no way she's gonna join the cult and then at the end you're like oh no she did it and it makes sense no (laughs) so that's that's how i felt and i felt like that was really satisfying yeah uh, to, to have to watch her go through that transformation well, that's interesting you say that because I didn't get that experience. I felt like she was so lost throughout the whole movie, kind of just pushed and pulled by what was happening around her that like, by the time the end comes about, she's already completely lost. You know, As soon as she sits down at the table, after she wins the thing, and she sits down at the table and starts the ritual and seems to like know what to do, I was like, Oh, okay. Like that. Like she's in it now, right? And she's yeah. starting to feel like this is where she could be, and imagine that she's part of it. You know, and like when she, like she, they talk about how like uh, her clothes transition, right? At first, yeah. she's wearing her normal clothes, and she puts the apron on, which turns half of her clothes white, and then she puts on the, and you don't see what happens, but eventually, she's wearing the full gown just like everyone else right, is the right. only person that's not wearing that is christian and he's like sticking out like a sore thumb right uh, literally gets left behind <laughs> yes yes exactly everyone else walks away and he's just like <laughs> by himself um so and she's like i don't know she's just sort of seamlessly becomes part of the story you know part of the cult's like uh landscape in a way and the only thing that's left is Christian. And at that point, she's like completely lost. You know? Well, yeah, but I think what really sells it for me that she's not fully bought in is her face, which it's yeah. fitting that she smiles at the end because then you know she is bought in. But before that, I mean, when she's sitting there wearing that huge, that iconic flower outfit <laughs> where so she's funny. entirely <laughs> inside of uh, like flowers, she's she looks obviously distraught. She looks really upset that she's there and they don't even let you see her pick christian so you know you don't know how if she's gleeful which is or if it like really kills her she's like no i have to seem like, like she's gonna kill her it seems like the obvious choice you know like the way that she's staring at him it's yeah like, it's like you know what i'm gonna pick and i'm not gonna like it's almost like i don't even feel bad about it right it's like and i don't me. think she does yeah i don't you, think like, she does you, really you hurt me you know you've hurt me many times whatever like this is what you deserve um and it's it's that like purging of emotion more so than or purging of of something negative which is what they say the last ritual is for that that's what's apparent on her face to me anyway is like she is she's in that process of grieving the loss of something that she needs to cut off you know yeah and like that's a painful experience is letting that go but 
it's not like she's not willing to do it. It's just that she's in the midst of it. Right. It's not pleasant, but she's willing to do it. Yeah. That's kind of how I saw it. Okay. And I do, I like that you brought up that she was like knew how to do the cult stuff because that's another huge hint that she's headed there. It's like she inexplicably is able to sing like at the same time during the blessing of the like harvest. And she's like, she knows that she has to start eating first to commence the whole feast for everybody else. So yeah, it, 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 I love that transition and Uh, and looking back, it's it's so I'm really happy to hear that you like that, that the smile, like at the end really kind of sold everything for you. Because it didn't really, it didn't, I don't know, I wasn't picking up on it that way, I guess. So that makes me feel like there really was something like special, meaningful to that. Well, so. and I think it also might be just me projecting how I feel about the cult onto Danny, because I do not like cults. <laughs> First of all, cults are so fucked, okay? <laughs> it is so horrifying to have people who are so committed to tradition and a certain way of life even when it demands that they die or that others die in brutal ways. But I love that this movie lets us decide if we think it's bad. Not <laughs> all of their traditions in this commune are scary or off-putting. Some of them are actually a lot of fun. Like the dance competition, I, yeah. that's like a fun game. You spin in a circle and who can stay up when they say stop? Like That sounds like a fun game. Uh, or it looks like a fun game. And then when they try to get Danny to eat the whole fish, but like she doesn't have to, you know, like it's like, that's fun. That's like a fun little tradition. They're like, good try, you know, great attempt. Yeah. Uh, that, all that stuff, it's fun and it, it just seems like good culture, right? But the darkest stuff is incredibly dark. And this movie gives us a chance to try to justify this community's rituals by looking at them from an anthropologist's point of view. They have different beliefs than us, but... You know, they are killing themselves. They're participating in their culture's tradition that reflects their beliefs in a cycle of life, right? Sure. I, it, I mean, no, but... <laughs> well, no, no. And again, this is what the movie gives you the chance to consider. Yeah. It might be brutal, but it's, it's just a different culture. You know, they even say it's like, well, we put our elders in a, uh, nursing homes and they would consider that to be brutal and, and terrible. So, and we've seen I Care a lot. So we, <laughs> we can... know how that is. Yeah, we can vouch for that perspective. But... To me, it quickly becomes impossible to condone their traditions, especially when we realize that part of their culture is sacrificing unknowing new blood who come in from the outside world. Yes. No, I think that's, it's so interesting the way that they are like, oh, the cult is like, not that bad, right? Like, oh, you guys just don't understand. Like, these people threw themselves off of a cliff and then we murdered the other guy with a mallet. Like, that's, that's good, actually. Like, you don't get it. Like. We can, I, I can explain this for you, you know, like, I don't know. And then the reaction, I think, uh, I was thinking about this a lot when I was watching Squid Game too, about like the brutal nature of that show and whether or not I was becoming desensitized to violence, right? I think what that show does, and I think that this movie plays with is the reaction of the characters to violence, right? You as a moviegoer, right are like oh wow that looked horrifying whatever but you have to you have a suspension of disbelief that you're playing into and it's only when other people react to it do you recognize just how horrible it is 
And in this movie, they sort of play with this idea because clearly Danny is shocked, right? Christian even like kind of throws up. Then you got the two British, the British couple, um, what was it called? Justin and Collie and, and Connie. Connie, yeah, yeah. They, they Our, they're like, it, yeah, yeah. I can't remember. They um, they're like up in the air, like they're like they're like screaming, like don't do it, don't do it. What's happening here? Like you guys are just standing here watching this. What's happening? You know, acting like what I would argue is normal people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then you got Josh, who knew it was happening. He knew from when they said uh, that word. What was it? Uh, Anasputa? I don't remember it. Uh, Atestupa. Atestupa, I think is what it says. Uh, something like that. Sure. We know anyway, what you're talking about. Who can forget know- what you're talking about? Right, right, right. He, um, uh, Pele says, it's, it's this virtual. And, and Josh is like, well, not really, right? And he's like, no, it really is. And he's like, oh, interesting. And he's like smiling wryly in his bed, like you guys are in for a treat tomorrow. Like, <laughs> like, come on, that's yeah, not. How can you not warn people about that? <laughs> any um, any self-respecting anthropologist knows that like human sacrifice is largely like mythical. Like, no, like this idea that the like the Induit, Intuits, uh, you know, used to put their elderly on ice floes and then push them off. That's a myth. <laughs> you know, the, the, this was never a thing. People don't murder their elderly. Um. So like, <laughs> he's like, yeah, you know, oh, we're in for a treat today. We're about to experience something really special, really unique out there, you know. And he's like, oh man, what what a fascinating ritual after it happens. And you just kind of get this cold like <laughs> feeling from him and from Christian, right? Uh, who's like so willing to justify it. Danny, of course, is also horrified. But at this point, she's been so like destroyed by her own recent events that her emotional reactions mean nothing to you as the audience because what she finds distressing is not what normal people find distressing and what you know compared to what she's gone through there's a lot more that's going to have to get to her to in order for her to like you know actually react in a way that is relatable i feel like right so i think it's interesting that they make that comparison. They're like, oh, it's actually fine, sort of, right? But instead, uh, what I kind of got away from that was like, okay, none of these characters are really making sense. None of these characters are like really sane. They're all kind of, um, you know, have these own neuroses about what something should be or what's right or wrong and just coming at it from a, um, you know, kind of a cold perspective or a numb perspective, uh, which makes it even more off putting. Uh, for me, because then it feels like I'm going crazy. I'm like, well, like I know what I just saw. I know how some people saw it, but like, am I supposed to think that's okay? Yeah. Um, I don't really know what the uh, anthropology th- like uh, angle is supposed to symbolize. I-, I understand what you're saying about how it's like you're kind of looking at it from a scientific perspective, perhaps you know, kind of giving sure. it a like kind of a wide view. Um, but it doesn't feel like these guys are really good anthropologists. They're, they're like, I don't know if they represent like a moral judgment of outsiders or their own lack of concrete morality, or maybe just the coldness of academia, which is not something, none of those things are things that I really subscribe to. To me, an anthropologist is sort of the antithesis of all of those things. Usually people who study a culture because they love it, not because they find a morbid curiosity with it, right? It's because they want to understand and be able to explain it to other people. It's not because they're like, oh, wow, 
this, you know, this is going to sell a lot of books, uh, which is, seems to be what Josh and Christian are sort of after at this point. They're not, they're completely uncaring of tradition, have no respect for anything that's going on, and they're acting completely selfish. It's just so weird to me, and I don't really know what to make of it. Yeah, especially with Josh, like, explicitly breaking rules that he was told like don't take pictures of this stuff and he's yeah. like i'm immediately gonna take pictures i can of this take stuff. pictures of this they're not gonna catch me with it right you know, they're just like hillbillies in the mountains yeah or when when christian's just like straight up like what about what about incest <laughs> it's like yeah it's like wow you know, okay. do you, is that a conversation you have in your normal life like <laughs> <laughs> just ask people about how they feel about incest yeah, I agree. Yeah. They are bad anthropologists. And Christian is a bad student. He just straight up plagiarizes Josh's idea. Yeah, he's like, oh, yeah. He's like, oh by the way, Josh, I'm going to do the same, the same thing you're doing. And Josh is like, what the fuck? Why would you do this? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So, absolutely. yeah. Well, I do think that it, morbid curiosity or not, Harga is an interesting like commune and one thing specifically that makes it interesting is that it's a cult with no leader mm. like usually this you know the stereotypical cult has a charismatic cult leader that invents the cult and then gets a bunch of followers to believe that basically he's god yeah. and then most of the time this is so that he can convince all of the women in the cult to have sex with him men are so predictable uh, but <laughs> Harga has no cult leader like, sure, we can say Siv and Odd seem to be running parts of the commune at this current moment, but we're, we can understand that that's just because they're the proper age. They'll eventually age out and be replaced by the next generation of Hargans. And I think this makes the cult particularly scary because there's no central villain to fear or focus on. The cult acts as one. The cult is one unstoppable force that perpetuates itself. Yeah, I, um, that's my favorite part about this community is that they all act together right they all kind of act as one think as one they all do things kind of simultaneously um you know they're all very they, they recognize individual pieces but they're all definitely part of something big and like there's that sex ritual where all the women are moaning in unison with uh maya and then um like you mentioned earlier when um danny has her kind of panic attack breakdown after seeing um, Christian having sex with, with Maya. They're all surrounding her and wailing with her, you know, sharing that burden, sharing that pain, right? They're all, it's all like everything happens at, at, to everyone all at once. When that old guy falls off the cliff and then he doesn't die right away, everyone's also screaming and kind of moaning in unison. When they and have they this stop as soon as the hammer hits him. Yeah. I, at first I thought it was booing. I thought they were like, yeah, you should have killed yourself better. You did a Do bad a job. Do a flip. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but no, they were, they were re reflecting his pain, like, also. And uh, the same thing when they were burning those guys alive. They're screaming in there, and they can hear the screaming, and the, and the people outside are also screaming and wailing, uh, also kind of acting like they're um, uh, in pain, uh, you know, just sharing in that, um, which I think is such a powerful imagery and also, like, uh, effective i think because it brings people in it makes you think oh, all these people care about me all these people are you know i'm part of something I i'm part of the fabric of this thing right right and also it makes it harder to try to stop them when you feel like they're acting evil or doing something yeah because they uh, all against... i think the same way they don't argue with each other right right they, well they all and like, they all do the same thing together they all when they're asking oh, i think his name is simon simon and connie um when simon is missing 
they're asking like what are both of them are missing they're like asking what happened and then just some random cult guy is like um i know what happened they left uh for the train one like the one at a time you know and he's not some leader guy it's not like there's some cult leader who's like telling lies and then it's like we need to talk to one of the other people and maybe they'll tell us the truth you know it's there is no other people nor is, it, nor is it like we're gonna put this guy here to plant this idea or whatever right he just speaks up because he knows what everyone else knows right yep yep it's really it's really interesting and, and it definitely sets it I, maybe there are other cults that have existed in this way but it kind of breaks the stereotype of what i think of cults when it's like the classic cult leader and then cult followers and i think there's a quote from the office where creed is like um you have more fun like he's like yeah I, i've i've been in a few cults like you make uh, you have more fun as a follower but you make more money as a leader <laughs> like something like that uh and uh so yeah and this was just different than that there's no leader so i you just mentioned uh well we've been talking about the cliff scene and i want to talk about how the shocking imagery made me feel because i hated seeing those collapsed skulls and the jump scares that brought the those images back to us oh yeah like when you see it in the the horrifying nightmare sequence and also when they they just cut to it real quick to show them being burned that was that was like a audible like ah for for me (laughs) watching this movie because it was i hated that it was like gross and I think this movie is plenty scary without cheap scares like that. Like I can respect that like after the cliff suicides, uh, this movie didn't rely too much on shocking imagery moving forward, but those scenes like made me sick to my stomach. And like, I don't know if I can really hold it against the movie because maybe other people don't feel the same way when they see things like that. But I just, ugh. And and the thing is, it's it's also hard to hold against the movie because I do think that that shock contributed to the tension that I felt for the rest of the movie because I anticipated it happening again. I'm like, okay, if this is happening now, <laughs> right? The finale is going to be just something an absolute, else. Yeah, it's going to be something. It's going to scar me. Um, even if it never reached that level again, the anticipation of maybe seeing that again <laughs> was like really really took a hold on me yeah really wormed your, wormed his way into you yeah um i think this is a common use for violent imagery in film uh, but i think it definitely applies here as well which is that the contrast between like the flowy ritualistic controlled environment and then the brutal reality that is also existing but you know in this movie is being ignored and other movies it's like it acts as a stark contrast between one and the other i think that that's what's really doing it here i think is like the okay this is still real right all these people are acting you're acting like you're in this dream state you came in here on on mushrooms right half the time you have no idea what's going on or like wh- how they set up all those tables exactly <laughs> or whatever's going on right it, it all seems like it's just happening you know and you're part of you're on for the ride and these scenes where people are dying horrifically is a reminder that this is still real and that this definitely has like an actual consequence on reality um and you can't hide that you can but what the what the um, cult does is pretends that it doesn't exist 
you know, they're like, oh, we're in the daylight. You know, we're not pretending that these people didn't die. We're not pretending that they would like they don't look horrify horrifyingly disgusting with their skulls caved in or whatever. It's uh, it, it's fine. It's actually good that it's like this. The other thing is, I think the destruction of their faces uh, was deliberate in order to uh, like kind of make that transition that their names and you know, I guess their personalities and everything will be transferred to the next generation. Right. Um, and I, so I think like the when in death they're sort of erased. That's why their names are given away, um, and the face is part of that too. Um, okay. Sure. Yeah, yeah. No, I could definitely see that. There I are mean, some face motifs, right? Where uh, Ruben is wearing uh, Mark's face, uh, yes, to to trick Josh. And um, then like the sex guy is wearing like a thing that covers his face. Yes. Yes. So, so yeah. yeah. It's um I yeah no I again like that's why I really can't lean too hard on that as like being a con for this movie. I definitely warn people maybe. It's like, "Hey, you're going to see some graphic stuff." But right. uh you know, for, I think that there's plenty of people who make the argument that this movie wouldn't be this movie without it. So, uh it you have to take it, the whole package. That's right. But, uh <laughs> but let's move on. And talk a little bit about the acting in this film. And I think the first thing that jumped out at me was that Florence Pugh does a flawless American accent oh, the yeah. entire movie. And after seeing her be a total Brit in Fighting With My Family, I was impressed to see her just transform into an American. She has no sense of self-preservation in this performance. When she cries, she cries. <laughs> Absolute wailing. And uh, I just think she gives herself away to this role. Like so much of this movie relies on long takes of Danny's face and letting us gather information from her expression. And I think she just did such a great job. Like I liked her in Fighting With My Family, but now I would say I'm a Florence Pugh fan. <laughs> and I think it's because I just really loved her performance in this film. And, yeah. you know, yeah. Uh, I, I, of course, I think she's the reason why we're here is uh, because we talk about her. And I think that, yeah, like you just said, the movie completely is on her shoulders. And she carries it really, really well. Um, I mean, just just the sudden bursts into tears. It's not just one or two times. You know, it's like frequent where she's just like suddenly on a dime, right? Someone says the word family and she yeah, starts to yeah. immediately, her face starts to crumple and then she starts to, to try to keep it together and, and uh, tries to cry. Um, yeah, she's completely unstable and unbalanced um, in this movie, which I think comes across really, really well. And although, like, I was, although she kind of, you know, goes into the cult and I'm like, no, no, don't go into the cult. I was still rooting for her the whole way, um, especially when she uh, sacrifices Christian to the flames. I'm like, yeah, go for it. Honestly, at this point, <laughs> <laughs> you might as well. So, no, I, I, I thought she was really good. I, I was thinking about other performances or other actresses that maybe could take this role. Something that kind of came to mind was Natalie Portman in Annihilation. Both characters are somewhat broken, traveling into a strange and dangerous world, trying to understand what is happening. And while they're doing that, that thing changes them fundamentally. And while Portman works really well in Annihilation, I don't think it would her performance or even Natalie Portman would have worked well in this movie. I think Pew brings more vulnerability, more tragedy, and just more emotional strife, which is really what this movie is all about. Yeah. I, I really like this movie has me convinced that we're on the right path by doing a series on Florence Pugh. I think we're uh, we're <laughs> noticing what like the reason. And yeah, I, I mean, 
I hadn't seen this movie before we decided on this series. So I'm glad that this is the realization we're having and not like, uh oh, <laughs> we have two more movies to do. On this <laughs> right. Terrible actor. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, like, she's the, fantastic. Yeah. I think um, she does such a good job of just looking like a normal person, too. You know, like she yes. looks just like a normal girl and she's going through something really tough and like holding it together. Um, you know, and she's not like, uh, overly dressed or anything and yet you know she feels like she's in this completely unique environment and yet she she seems like she feels just comfortable enough in her own skin um yeah i i was just impressed with her like you said her commitment to it to really sell this because uh, i think it it absolutely would not be possible without her um absolutely not right and i think that there is uh the rest of the cast was good too i really enjoyed will poulter's performance as mark <laughs> Like he was just great comic relief. Yes. And once he was gone, I knew it was all over for our other <laughs> characters. Like, no more like funny little comments no more from Mark. Funny guys. It's just gonna get dark. Yeah. And uh, I also, I mean, we kind of commented on this, but I, I thought all the people who played the cultists, uh, the members of the cult, really came across as monolithic, which was yeah. really unsettling, and all the things we said. And I think it really contributed to how hor- like scary the cult was. Even like Pele, right? Like he, uh, he's like his own unique character. He's definitely distinct among the group of friends. But as soon as they get into the cult, like he sort of disappears, right? He's there to kind of guide them a little bit. He talks to Danny a few times, but ultimately he's just kind of not there. You recognize him, but he doesn't have that many lines or anything. It's like his role as guide is taken over by other people in the cult, um, which is how the whole thing's structured. That everyone's the same. Everyone acts the same way. Everyone has their specific role. So it's um, it's uh, yeah, it's freaky for sure. So another thing that was important in this movie was drugs, and um, I think they largely contribute to the shifting, like to shift the perspectives of our characters, um, but also to make it hard for us to keep track of time and to trust what we're seeing. Yeah, A guy that I know, <laughs> I won't name drop, but a guy that I know does mushrooms and he told me that this movie does a really good job of depicting the psychedelic experience that happens when you take mushrooms. And I think movies often struggle with that type of thing, uh, you know, it, putting that into a way that people who don't do drugs can understand it. And uh, I, I uh, secondhand want to like applaud this movie for doing a good job of that uh because those the all the drug sequences are super trippy the things they did to the people's faces oh yeah so bizarre <laughs> well just like the unsettling. the way that the the background pulses and like when they're sitting yes. at the dinner table it was so i had such a hard time figuring out what was going on i was like is the thing on the table alive is that moving right now because it looked like it was just moving but it was really just the the framework or whatever they were doing to kind of make the whole thing pulse and shift and kind of you know move around i'm doing like this thing with my hands right now where I'm i like, can see it. you're doing exactly right it's just like from the movie and and the other thing i love that too because it was so this theme of um the the commune being kind of one with nature yeah uh, you know a little bit of foreshadowing with danny was when she's tripping on mushrooms she sees grass growing out of her hand and out of her feet and that's you know a clue that you know she's going to join the cult because the cult is so they live in this nature but they also are like are in harmony with nature and this big thing for them is breathing they do that like kind of quick yeah. breathing thing 
And when Danny is the May Queen and she's still got the drugs influencing her pers- uh, perspective, the, her crown is breathing. The things on the table are breathing. And yeah. it's just, uh, it's a really unique, like otherworldly experience. So I, I think that this, this movie really does take advantage of having like drugs play a large part. And, you know, at the beginning, we see Danny take the Ativan pill. So it's like, oh, she is already using drugs to, you know, change the way, like to help her deal with anxiety. Right. So, and sleeping pills. And then, yeah, she takes a sleeping pill, which, oh my gosh, never take another sleeping pill ever. And, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know, so it makes sense that it would it would play a large part in her life, her new life with the cult. Um, and one thing's for sure, this movie made me not want to try mushrooms. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Um, another thing, I, I kind of wanted to get your opinion on this. So, I feel like while this movie is largely about cults, um, I think it also has like a little bit of commentary on religion, specifically with like religious texts. And um, so the cult intentionally inbreeds to create Mm -hmm. deformed babies that will eventually become oracles. And I think that's a really fucked up thing to do on purpose. (laughs) Yes. And yeah. And, and, having like mentally handicapped people write the religious texts for these societies. I mean, it has to be a commentary on the religious texts that are used for actual religions. Like they, they have like complete nonsense basically in these books. And then they're like, Oh, but we'll interpret it and then tell you what it means. And then that's, that's our beliefs. Yeah. I but, was kind of confused about like, cause it has, you see uh Ruben, like the, the, the current Oracle, he is, uh, writing he's like scratching out or coloring in like whole pages like there's clearly something written on there and then he's like crossing it out and there's like blank pages to the text and the text is like it's it's not loose leaf but it looks like it's like poorly bound you know like some like yes. child made it like it's very much like a, a, a like a very delicate document and there's supposed to be a bunch of them right there's like this is the 19th edition or something they said where there's like a there's actually a whole lot of them like in storage somewhere I don't know what that has to do. I don't know if the text has anything to do with religion or anything. Certainly, anytime you talk about cults, you sort of bring in religion. But I think, uh, especially most religious people, would immediately defer to be like, cults and religions are not the same thing. They're, yes, they're right. distinctly different, um, yeah. even though they share a lot of characteristics with each other. Um, I think that, I don't know, I think that it says way more about cults than it does like about any sort of religion. I think cults also have all that same things, religious texts and weird rituals. All of that is meant to, are useful tools to control your population, right? You can say, right. okay, well, this is part of the ritual. It's part of the tradition. We've always done it this way. So we can't do that. We can't not do that. Otherwise, we'd be dishonoring our ancestors. It's part of the tradition that we're actively writing. <laughs> yes. And then, you know, the... Um, right. And then the text and everything, like you said, like you can just interpret it however you like. And then you say, okay, well, I want this. I think it's best if we start going in this direction. It seems like, like you said, there's no leader, but perhaps like, you know, the council of elders gets together and is like, okay, well, we need to move in this direction and do this. You know, we need, we need to bring outsiders in. So how do we do that while preserving the cult? Obviously, we need to bring them in here and kill most of them. And the other ones we can, you know, get in here. That's all, you know, very strategic. Maybe they interpret that and then maybe they say, okay, the text said that, you know, this is how we have to handle this situation. Um, so, you know, it's just, it's just another element of like, this is definitely a cult, you know, cults act in a certain way. 
um, these are the tools Colts use. Right. And I mean, I, and I think you're right. I, I did feel like it was shots like fired at general religion, but it also definitely is uh, focused on Colts. And like another thing that I liked that they did was showing us the two guys who volunteered to die yeah. inside of the burning building because they're given like the feel no pain medicine or whatever. And then they're sitting there patiently awaiting their death. But then we get to see the one guy when he catches on fire and he starts just absolutely wailing. And it's clear that that whatever that was did not do enough or anything for that matter to stop the pain. And uh, I feel like that kind of pulls back the veil on the cult. And it's like these people are really bought in. And to them, this is all so convincingly real. But no matter how strong their belief in their cult, it doesn't change the fact that fire is really freaking hot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that goes along with, you know, the, the violent imagery, right? It's like, this is still real, you know? Yeah. This is right there. The, the exception to that, I think, is when you, they find Simon in the chicken coop and he's like, his lungs are outside of his body. Remember that? Oh, yeah. That's Ugh, apparently I can't forget that. That's another one I just <laughs> want to get out of my mind. That's apparently like a uh, something from some like Viking mural or some sort of Viking book they found like someone found a long time ago that showed that, but there's no there's no like evidence that anyone actually ever did this. Um it's called okay. like the splayed eagle or something like that. I can't remember exactly what it is. Okay. But it's like a it's some sort of Scandinavian torture um ritual. Uh, that was theorized or was once depicted once, but who knows if it was ever actually used. Um, so yeah, uh, yeah, that didn't that felt like unnecessary, you know? Like why was yeah. why was that there? Why did they need to do that? Um, and well, yeah, I watching the movie back. Like this doesn't necessarily explain it, but there's a uh, image of that exact thing, like somebody splayed yes. out like that in like the house where they all sleep. So. I think that this movie does a lot to try to convince you that this cult goes deeper than what we see. It's like there's a lot of depth to it. Uh, and that is like part of it. And and like another example of this is like the artwork we saw at the very beginning of the movie, mm. which for when you first see it, you're like, whoa, what is this? What am I looking at? And then it just opens up and then you kind of go from there. But if you go back and see it after you finish the movie, it's like, Oh my gosh, I know everything that's on this thing. Like the first panel, like it's kind of done in like five different sections that are like vertically united. So it's like this whole top to bottom part is one thing, then the next one to the like to the right of that and be and so on. So the first panel shows Danny surrounded by her dead family. Like they all have like these cords going to them and it's like an umbilical cord that's coming out of Danny and there's a skeleton there who's like cutting the cord. So it's kind of like mm. the first stage is her like being cutting the cord from her family. So now well, she's there's also like the actual tube that is attached to the exhaust of the car. Yes. That runs to yes. the house too. Right. And yeah. that's obviously how they die. And then in the second panel, it shows Christian like kind of consoling Danny, but it's, it's like she's turned away from him. So it's like almost like he's like, what is this? Or like, you know, he's not even not really consoling her as much as just like being like, why are you so upset? And then, uh, the next panel shows Pele leading Danny, Christian, Josh, uh, and Mark through the woods, and you get little like 
affects that make it clear who each person is. Like Josh is carrying a stack of books and Mark has a clown hat on, which he ends up wearing in his death. Uh, and Pele is playing a flute. Like he's the freaking Pied Piper, like just leading them <laughs> through the woods, which is funny because, or, well, it's interesting also because when they arrive, they're playing flutes. The people of uh, the commune are actually playing uh, flutes and it's giving this real ethereal kind of endless note as they, as they are like, walking through that archway and that archway is also depicted in the uh in that panel and then the fourth panel shows the group walking like through that entrance and all the hargans are welcoming them uh half of them are offering cups and half of them are offering skulls uh, like, like holding them out to the to the people as they arrive and at the top of this panel there's a cliff with two angels falling from it so obviously we know what that is. Yep. At the at the bottom of this panel, there's a cow and a bear next to each other, and I it's not really clear what that's supposed to symbolize. But obviously the bear is uh, later shown there's to also, us. There's also a cow. You see the cow a couple times in the movie. Yes. Yeah. On the, and, on the in the fields. Right. So. And and during the blessing of the like crops. So uh so they had that, and then the last panel has a huge sun with a face at the top. Uh, and then below that, there's a couple of skeletons that are playing the violin and the drum. And below that, there's the May Queen dance contest. And some of the women in the dance contest are skeletons. And then below that, there's a feast, like the feast table that they sit at after the uh, dance contest. And uh, there's a bunch of Hargans sitting there. And I love that the movie gives us all this information knowing we won't be able to do anything with it. <laughs> We're just going to see it and forget it instantly. Even yeah. though like the first panel shows like the snow and the darkness and it opens up to that exactly. So I think if you're really sharp, you might catch that. The, you're like, oh, okay, that's the thing. But even that, you're not going to be able to do anything with that information. So it's, it's, it's not fun. clear that like, you know, these are separate pieces, you know? It's yeah. like okay, uh, I can you can kind of see that there's like different things. You may be able to if you really pause it and look at it at the very beginning, see that there's some characters are repeated throughout, but then you kind of lose track of who's who. And um yeah, it's not even clear that like this is one thing leading to the next thing leading to the next thing. You know, it's just like this looks like a whole maybe there's two maybe there's two sections. That's what I thought at first because it splits down the middle. I thought maybe like one half was one thing and one other half was another thing. Okay, yeah. But but um obviously that's not true. Obviously it's right. like they actually kind of split one of the ones in the middle right in the middle. Right, um, right. So yeah, no, it's super obvious after you go back and look at it after you watch the movie, but when you're when you first open it up, it's exactly what you said, you just like uh okay, I guess I'll come back to that later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I think that like the artwork specifically um but like the depictions that uh they have throughout their uh culture is goes a long way to creating a realistic cult experience like a lot of the rituals that we see in this movie like performed are plainly depicted in artwork that's found on the wallpaper of the buildings in the commune we see so much uh like from this cult that like is represented that way and it also gives us the illusion that there's even more that we don't get to see. And I want to play a, uh, a quote here where they're talking about some of the cult's beliefs. People just sleep here? Yeah, all the younger ones, until we turn 36, and then we move to the laborer's house. Why 36? Well, we think of life like the seasons. So you're a child until you're 18, and that's spring. And then at some point, we all do our pilgrimage, which is between 18 and 36, and that's summer. And then from uh, 36 to 54, we're a working age, which is fall, 
And then finally from 54 to 72 you become a mentor. What happens at 72? And then of course he does the <laughs> cutting of the throat motion, which is and all they, too and they, real. And they all laugh. <laughs> yeah. Which that one I was like, okay, you should have been like, really? You guys die like that's it's time to ask a question at that point. But um, but yeah, so like I said, you in this scene specifically, you can see a dude that's all cut open and splayed on the wall. No yeah. context, of course, but after you see it, you're like, oh, I know what that is. Well, yeah, it's and hard then, to tell what it is. You know, right. after you see after you see what's his name, Simon, um, then it becomes obvious. But at first, it's like that could just be flowers or something. It's it's not sure. clear. Sure. And then when when Christian's in that house where he talks to Siv about sex. All of the artwork on the wall, like on the other side of him, is flowers in the shape of vaginas. Like maybe that's obvious to people, but I didn't pick up on it until I looked back. I was like, oh, okay, obviously. And there's vaginas. a picture of a bear being lit on fire. Like, right, directly right across in front of him. Yeah. And I and did you get what what the bear is supposed to symbolize, or did you understand what that is? I think it's I think it ties along with Christian being something to purge, something to get rid of, like a danger or evil. Um, to get rid of. Yeah, I don't know. They don't talk about like what the bears symbolize. In fact, when they yeah. see the bear in the cage, one of the cult members says, it's just a bear, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> you know, haven't you seen a bear before? Um, so like it's, uh, I think it's supposed to represent like, um, you know, evil or um, danger or, you know, bad feelings, bad vibes maybe. Okay. And yeah, and I think we can pick up on that, but I I would also be willing to believe that there is some sort of deeper meaning about bears that the cult understands, but they just don't explain it to us because this is all this is what I'm saying is like they create this illusion that this cult is very complete. We're not yeah. supposed to understand everything they do by the end. They're leaving all this stuff for us to look at and saying this this cult is deep. There's depth here. And uh that makes the cult feel real. So I, I think, you know, obviously this is an important time for the cult, but we also can understand this a cult exists every day of the year and they're doing a bunch of other stuff that maybe doesn't matter right now. And uh, again, it just makes the cult feel so real. There's this um, there's this other picture that happened that's earlier in the movie. It's over Danny's bed and the, the film lingers on it for a while. It's a it's a painting by John Byer, Barr maybe, um, and it's called "Poor Little Bear," which is a representation of a of some sort of fairy tale um, called "Poor Little Bear," where a young girl meets a bear in the forest, and the picture is of a big brown bear and then a little girl standing in front of the bear, kissing him on the nose, um, and. I think I'm not sure what that's supposed to mean at this point. I, I think um, at this point in the movie, maybe the, if the bear is representing like tragedy or grief or something to expel, it's certainly overwhelming in the picture and maybe overwhelming to um, the little girl, uh, a Danny. Um, uh, but eventually, right, the bear is eventually purged from that. So uh, I'm not sure. Okay. But that's yeah. a, you know, there's a little bit of bear motif going on uh, in here too. Definitely, definitely. Um, so we've moved into our cool Easter eggs. I got, I got some for you. So at the, at the uh, very beginning, Danny's sister, Terry, has sent her a few emails. And two of those emails are YouTube videos. And I'm going to play one right now, actually. This video is called Relaxing Yellowstone River Live. Uh, Yellowstone Live. It's not actually live. It's only eight minutes. And it's just a picture of a river 
or a video of a river, uh, just slowly, you know, bubbling and, and stuff. Someone's got a camera and is panning across, and you know, nothing really happens. It's just kind of like a relaxing video. Eventually, there's someone's thumb in front of it. Um, and then in the comments, of course, everyone's like, this is, also, this is on a National Geographic's channel. All the comments are like, I'm here after watching Midsummer." <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, and then I, the other one, I had trouble getting, but eventually I saw someone comment in this video saying, oh, like here's the, here's the link to the other one, which is called First Ever 3D VR Filmed in Space, uh, One Strange Rock, uh, which is also from National Geographic. This is four minutes and 32 seconds long. Um, and it's a video, it's like a vlog of an astronaut in space talking about how cool it is to be in space. Um, it has like some nice music playing over the, the background. Um, it talks about looking out the window and seeing the earth and exercising in, in space and stuff. So uh, it's pretty short, but uh, we'll link to it below if you want to uh, see. So, um, yeah. Cool. I, someone says, a dark sec two years ago said, anyone else here because of the Midsummer movie? I guess this video is how Terry wanted to feel. Calm, floaty, seeing beautiful things. So, yeah. maybe. <laughs> Some real uh, eggheads in the con YouTube comments down here. Yeah, I love when movies leave like a, like artifacts on the internet. Yeah, yeah. I, at first, I think, I was like, oh, it's a video unavailable. I was like, ah, what happened? What happened? But um, no, I think I just typed it in wrong. So I, I did find it eventually. Um, the other thing that I wanted to point out was obvious. Okay, maybe this is not obvious, but Midsummer is a real festival, like celebrated in all over Europe, but also in Scandinavia. Um, and all the like, not er, some of the stuff you see in the movie is real, such as the Maypole uh, ritual and maybe not like the dancing and stuff, but like the Maypole decorating the Maypole, setting that up, and then. You know, having a big feast and gathering people in a bit meadow and kind of celebrating the longest day of the year. That's all part of the, the festival. Um, all of the nasty stuff, the sex ritual, the ritualistic murders, all of that stuff is invented. Um, there's, some, there's some texts out there that say, oh, you know, maybe this happened at one point, but it's all like speculation. Um, and like most people agree that if this was something that happened, it didn't happen um it happened like a long long time ago it didn't happen anytime recently um so all that stuff is kind of made up for the movie um uh, but obviously that's not really the point it's so it's based on real like a real event um uh, that town that they're in um i can't i keep forgetting what it's called harger harga uh housingland Housing oh, harga is the name of the commune yeah yeah that harga is a real place with real people that live there, what? there there's not a, there's not like a real cult there they don't have like a commune or anything but it is like a real small like village okay. that people live in um that's like <laughs> kind of remote um i don't know i never saw anything about how they felt about this yeah i, I can't think, imagine um, they feel great yeah but he but uh, ari uh, asked her like went out to scandinavia and met with a bunch of people and like attended a few midsummer festivals and got an idea of what the thing was like and you know kind of stole from Viking culture and from you know Scandinavian culture to make this uh, fake cult that he invented. So. I uh, I saw a T-shirt on Amazon that said I survived the like Hargan Midsummer Festival 2019. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> like there's a whole bunch of like commemorative T-shirts that make it seem like you went, uh, which is That's hilarious. Funny. I want one of those shirts. That's funny. So you see a lot of runes in this movie as well. Um, and these are based off of an actual like runic, I guess, alphabet. It's called uh, Earth Arc runes. There's another 
type of runes too that is like more common this is like the kind of twisted version of it and even this isn't exactly what you see in the movie uh, i have this quote from this um article from thrillist that says but Aster also fiddled around to create something totally new along with consultant Martin Calquist for Midsummer's runic letters. We kind of co-created this language called the affect language, which is with a K, he says. It really is a melange of folklore, histor historical fact, tradition, and invention. So, it so even this, what you see, those runes you see in the movie, aren't exactly the real like representation of these runes, they look pretty similar, but I think the meanings and the way that they're used is uh, made up for this movie as well. There's a few, there's, everything is covered in runes. A lot of people are wearing them on their clothes. Everyone has like a unique symbol that represents them. Um, there's one called Rado, which is like the little R shape. Um, you know what I'm talking about? I, I, what's interesting about runes is they have very few curves in them because the people that make that or like invented them use rocks ah. on rocks to make them. So it's much easier to draw straight lines than it is to make curves. <laughs> so like all their letters are like, you know, straight line versions of like the uh, Latin alphabet. So Rado is the one that looks like kind of like an R, uh, but pointy. Um, and there's also one called uh, Dagaz. That is, uh, and both of those are featured on, um, what's his name? Uh, on, on Danny's clothes. Uh, she has okay. both of them next to each other. Uh, the, the R, I think, means journey. And then the other one, which is like the hourglass shape, uh, Dagaz, is, I think, inverted, which means hopelessness, or at least that's like one of the ways of interpreting it. Um, so she's like kind of on a hopeless journey perhaps or she's journeying away from hopelessness or or something yeah, like i think that, we could her, she's on a hopeless journey because like she has a tragedy that happens at the beginning and even though you could see it's like oh she finds her new family this cult is fucked so like it's yeah, bad yeah. that she decides to join <laughs> you know she's yeah i think a hopeless journey is apt so yeah uh, there's, a, there's a bunch of different meanings for these and you can kind of interpret them in many different ways and like I could go through and describe all of them, but it's not worth for, for a podcast <laughs> <That's okay. laughs> to describe them. But um, no, all of that stuff had like a purpose and a meaning. It wasn't just like trying to make something look good. Um, all of that stuff was very deliberate, which was pretty cool. Awesome. Well, I think that is going to bring us to the end of our discussion. Did you have anything else? That's it. All right. Well, then, as we do at the end of all of our episodes, we will deliver our ratings. Um, and I will go first. I give this uh, movie a meat pie made with pubes because <laughs> it was gross. <laughs> gross but delicious. Uh, what are you drinking with that? I don't want to talk about it. What did <laughs> you give this? What rating do you want to give this movie, Joey? I'm giving this a beautiful flower crown dripping with blood. Mm, yes, the flowers. I mean, that was one thing. It's definitely not even a spoiler, but it's definitely something that like I saw before I saw this movie was that it was Florence Pugh in the big flower dress. Iconic. Yeah. She actually, w the day I watched this movie, she posted on her Instagram a picture of her in that flower dress on set, and she's holding this fan, fan like that's that's like a electric, like a small electric fan that's blowing air, like air on her because she's like it was so hot in between like takes. I was always using my trusty like handheld fan to try to stay <laughs> cool. So amazing, yeah, so I liked that. Um, Very cool. So there we have it. 
Midsummer. I'm loving this Florence Pugh series. I'm really glad we decided to do this. Um, and I can't wait to see more from Florence Pugh as we continue. Uh, what's next on Affable Chat, Joey? Well, uh, I have good news for you because we're doing more Florence Pugh. The next Let's movie go. we're doing <laughs> is called Little Women, uh, also starring our favorite leading lady. All right. Well, I look forward to watching that and then discussing it with you. Uh, but for now, uh, our listeners can subscribe to us on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like this episode, then tell a friend about it. All you have to say is, have you considered listening to Affable Chat? You can reach us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at AffableChat, or send us an email, affablechat at gmail.com. You also can find us on YouTube, where there are videos of us. Affable Chat is live on Tuesday nights at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. That's twitch.tv slash affablechat. That's going to do it for this episode. For Affable Chat, I'm Benjamin. And I'm Joey. Thanks for listening. <laughs>